I'm Lemuel Gonzalez, Repentant Sinner, and along with Amity Armstrong, your heavenly host, I invite you to find a place in the pew for today's Painless Sunday School Lesson, Without Works. We're going to open this episode a bit differently than we have in the past, because our first topic fits largely under the umbrella of why we are doing this show in the first place, and it goes back to our title, Without Works. We are going to be discussing the phrase thoughts and prayers and the concepts surrounding it. Then, later in the show, we'll have a The More You Know segment about a topic that I'm eager to learn about, speaking in tongues. But first, let's turn to thoughts and prayers. Thoughts? No, thank you. I'll take half of a prayer and some legislation, please. So, what do you understand to be, when you hear the, the phrase thoughts and prayers, what comes to mind? Well, what comes to mind in the last decade mm-hmm. is inaction through speech, I guess is how I would say it. And why did you come to that conclusion? Because the only time you hear the term thoughts and prayers is after something terrible happens. Mm-hmm. It used to be confined to natural disasters. And that makes sense because... Nothing could be done to stop a hurricane from, well, that's not true either, but largely nothing could be done to stop a hurricane or a tornado from... Or an earthquake. Or, or an earthquake. Yeah, something... An earthquake and a tornado are better... Examples. Examples, because hurricanes are largely man-made at this point right, now. Right, you can evacuate the, 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 um, the population. You can take yeah, steps Yeah, but you can also, I mean, if people lose their homes, you can right. set, thoughts and prayers are perfectly reasonable along with you know, blankets and blood. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they're now largely con- tied to mass shootings in the United States. Right. Uh, and often it is all we hear from our politicians as they continue to not legislate gun laws. So asking as a religious person to an enlightened agnostic. That's me. Well, that's you. <laughs> what do you think prayers do? Well... To a subset of the population, Mm -hmm. I think that uh, they offer some sense of comfort, both on the prayerer and the prairie. (laughs) Is that, how do you, the the prayed for and the praying, Uh Uh, but... (laughs) The prayed upon. (laughs) Yes, that's, yeah, prayed upon is another way to word it, but yeah, not great. Uh, But I think... It's a cold comfort when nothing concrete happens. When, oh, there's a quote, there's a quote. I okay. have a quote. Right. It's from the Pope. He's one of your, your guys. <laughs> okay. And Pope Francis has said in 2013, prayer that doesn't lead to concrete action toward our brothers is a fruitless and incomplete prayer. And it feels to me too often that prayers and condolences or thoughts and prayers mm-hmm. are offered in tweet form or in news conference form. And then the thing that has happened to cause the thoughts, prayers, and condolences to be uttered and Maybe said, I don't know if any of these politicians are praying for these people. Uh, I don't know that. I know that they have said the phrase thoughts and prayers. I do not know. When we hear it coming from Donald Trump, I don't believe he thinks or prays. Not, yes, that's fair. In a significant way. So (laughs) I I don't, um, or perhaps he's praying to something other than what Uh, we're recognizing. Right. But I don't, because here's my issue with it. Uh, I get sort of prickly with it. I have a friend who's an atheist, and we discussed things at times together when we were working uh, together. And he uh, he asked me what thoughts and prayers meant, and I said, in what context? Right. And he said, well, what do you think about the f- phrase thoughts and prayers being, well, like, what are your ideas about thoughts? And I said, that's the part that I don't understand, because I'm not sure how my thoughts are going to be helping you at all. Right. Because he, I, that's something you say to like a lover or a, a spouse or a child. I'm thinking about you, and that matters. I don't know who you are. I just know that something fell on your head from a freeway. Thoughts and prayers I, for an agnostic or a uh-huh. quote-unquote more spiritual than religious group. Right. Healing thoughts. Healing are, thoughts. Are thing, that's what that yes, means. that okay. would be healing thoughts or positive thoughts 
good vibes sent your way, mm-hmm. which is probably how we interpret what prayers means right. from somebody who prays. I am not somebody who actively prays. Mm-hmm. Also, um, you know, I don't know what your prayers are for are your prayers for my healing? Are your prayers for that it won't happen again? Are your prayers for yeah. systematic change and gun laws? What are your prayers well, for? Hopefully, it should be for all of those things. My understanding too is that mm. prayer is not supposed to be like, "Psst, God, here's what I want for Christmas." Right. Like that's not what that's what prayers are depicted as. Uh-huh. Prayers are, I understand, a largely personal thing, right. but it's not supposed to be a Please let me have well, a Polly um, Pocket. <laughs> there's an, a film that I saw growing up, uh, The Hunchback of Notre Dame. It was a film Disney Charles... version? No, 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 no. This is Charles Lawton. Oh, Lord. Um, okay. Um, Maureen O'Hara. And there's a scene where Esmeralda wanders into a church, so okay. the cathedral. And she, she starts. wanders. To... Like she just well, whoops, finds herself well, in Notre Dame. She's a gypsy, so they're passing through yes, town. Yes, but also it's. Let's not use the word. Oh, I guess. At the time, in it was the context gypsy. of the story, that's the we do understand that that is a slur, <laughs> right? Um, but she wanders into Notre Dame and she's overwhelmed for one thing about because they're living on the road, they're living in tents, and mm-hmm. there's this massive the architecture of it is so staggering. she feels the sort of sacredness of it. And the director did a wonderful scene where everyone's at uh, on their knees praying in the aisles, and they're praying, "God give me this, God give me that, God give me money, God give me wealth, God give me power." And then they cut to her asking for her people. And that's supposed to show you the difference between her as a pure soul, despite the fact asking that... Asking for her people. The, the safety of her people. The safety of her people, okay. Um, in Paris. Okay. And so it it is supposed to contrast, a, you know, despite the fact that she's a wild, sexy gypsy, that she has a genuinely pure soul. And right. these other people are asking for themselves. For and, themselves, okay. Um, so she wants the safety of her people. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of times in media you see people who don't quote unquote don't pray mm-hmm. saying save my blank usually yeah. it's my baby yeah <laughs> and i'll do whatever you want i'll you know <laughs> so there's like a weird that's the conversion under devil duress. went down to georgia right i've, I've actually seen soul a lot of trade that god's up for which i don't think is those how times works. that people stand up and testify in church you will often hear this story I was in a car accident, and I was upside down in my rolled-over car, and I smelled gasoline, and I said to God, God, if you exist, and suddenly the belt buckle undoes, and they fall down, and they're able to scramble out of their car. I've heard that a variation of that story, including I've... people like attacked by alligators or wild dogs. There's a version of that. It's like the vanishing hitchhiker. I find these stories uh, deeply, deeply upsetting and offensive, that? because... To believe that you were unlike the 40 other people who were uh-huh. in the exact same terrible situation as you and nothing yeah. happened for you for them and happened to you is offensive to me. And if that's the, uh-huh. I'm, I'm just putting it on the table, if that's the God we're playing with, I'm not playing this game. That's a terrible rigged game. I don't And know. I don't like it. I don't want it's to. It's the same as, right. you know, when people... You know, thank God for surviving a mass shooting, for mm-hmm. instance. That is spitting in the face of all the other people who may be as faithful as you who did not survive. Okay, so I'd have to disagree with you on that last part in particular. Okay. You can thank God that you escaped. Sure. It does not mean, thank God, I was so much better than other people yes, that Jesus saved me. Yes, but sometimes it's God right. saw his way to mm-hmm. saving me. It feels and like... And so God... Finally, yeah. Yeah. I, I don't... <laughs> See, I'm very wary of approaching that because I don't want to say how a person should approach God Fair. and take away the value of this experience for them. Fair. They were at their absolute worst moment and then but something... But don't go in front of a microphone. Right. And then something happens <laughs> that completely changes that direction. It bothers me because, and I agree with you, it is bothersome to find out how many people didn't survive. I um, mm-hmm. There was recently a terrible fire here. The ghost ship fire. Yes. Uh, that uh, caught, and there was a. It's a. It was a kind of an improvised club that a bunch of young people were at, and they couldn't find their way out, and so quite a few people died. And I have a personal friend, a very close personal friend, who lost ten of her friends. Right. In this fire, there was one survivor that I also knew, and this survivor's parents 
keep promulgating a story about how he was tough, he was hard as nails, that's why he survived. You know, he, That's offensive to really, me as well. To having known some of the ten people that died and met them, it really is like, so what, the other people were weak and that's why they died. In other yeah. words, you're introducing this sort of Darwinian element towards to me. survival of the fittest. So I can understand when you apply that to a spiritual idea that... Um, yeah, there was a serial killer, but uh, our door was locked, and thank God that happened. God spared me, but right. God didn't spare these other people. These who other died. people who were victims to this, right. whatever horrific event it yeah. was. Can I talk about the fact that as of last Sunday morning, you were planning on going to the Gilroy Garlic Festival? Mm-hmm. Yes, I was. And would I was, have been there yeah. uh, and would have been one of the people targeted by the particular shooter that we had. Mm-hmm. He's being uh, cited as a domestic terrorist, a racist oh, and a white supremacist. cited as a domestic terrorist. Uh, I am grateful that you were not there that day. Mm-hmm. I am not thanking God that you were not there that day because I'm, at the same time, that feels like I'm thanking God that that six-year-old died. Right. And I... I'm not going to do well, that. <laughs> you know two people, because we have a co-worker who was there with his mom and with his brother earlier that same day and decided that the heat and crowds were too much for them and left. And left. And this is Another exactly, person of color. Right. And this is exactly why we didn't wind up going, but we were literally hours away from making that decision that morning. Yeah, one, that uh, morning it was, was uh, 50-50. It was still, yeah. And uh, and again the, the heat and the because this is Gilroy it's ninety two degrees or something and so that and several thousand people crowded together in a, a space in a field I, it was not something I wanted to do. You weren't up for the garlic very, ice cream. That's fine. Yeah, I understand. It was really alarming to hear how close he'd come because it's come to the point to where and I think you've seen this with me because we go to the movies together a lot that I perch myself up in my seat and I watch everyone who comes into the theater. Yes. And I watch everyone who leaves the theater, and everyone. Who, and so my enjoyment of a particular thing. Us going to the movies this last weekend was difficult for right. me to do. I did. I was like, I don't want to go to a place where people are. And we talked about this on our other podcast that there was more recently a guy who came in with a baseball cap. I couldn't see what color it was, and like a duffel bag or. A, and a he backpack. kept messing with his backpack. Right, and so I just turned halfway in my chair. I don't even remember what movie we were watching because I was missing it. But I just stared at him until he kind of like. It turns out he was pulling sandwiches out of his bag. But the a idea, man after my own heart. The idea that I had to, like, no, I'm going to be ready if this happens. Um, and he was only a couple of seats away from us. That the fact that we have to live like this is terrible. And, the, and what consolation we're offered is from a person as blasphemous and as horrible as the current president of the United States for, to come out of his filthy mouth Prayers, thoughts and prayers. And it, now he doesn't say thoughts and prayers. He's saying prayers and condolences. That's right, the, sh- the which is a lot better. phrase shift that he's uh, but gone I, with. When I think of, when I'm praying for people who are suffering, I'm praying for sick people for their recovery. I'm praying for suffering people for comfort. I'm praying for the end of this situation. But if I'm using that in lieu of actually taking any action, when it's in my hand to do something, I have to do it. You know? Yes. I mean, God's not going to answer the prayer that you can answer yourself. It seems to me that it's become this sort of catchphrase that we use, and it's being used by people who have no intention of ever... I mean, when we have people in office who are taking money from the National Rifle Association, money... Significant amounts of money, yes. Significant amounts of money... And they, because of this, they're refusing to take action. They're passing it further down the road. How many mass shootings have we had this year so far? This year, 261. Sweet Jesus. One? 251. 61. 61. More, more than days in the year. There's also a um, statistic that I read that for every 100 people in the United States, there are 122 guns. That's ridiculous. There's... I am not against the uh, Second Amendment of the United States, but the Second of the Amendment, Amendment of the United States clearly states a well-regulated militia. Mm-hmm. That is not who has guns now. And also, uh, we are speaking uh, post the El Paso and Dayton shootings. Right. And if a mall full of Texans 
is not going to stop a bad guy with a gun. No one is going to stop a bad guy with a gun. I, I, I understand gun ownership to a certain extent. I understand rural areas where people actually hunt for food. Sure. Or they're shooting for recreation. You have a rifle. I can even understand handguns. I can say that as a 220-pound martial artist, mm -hmm. I can say something stupid like, well, I don't carry a gun, but for some people, for, yes, they but, need it to defend themselves. So there's that. So let's talk about the Second Amendment as it was um, intended. Intended. There's a there's a version of a song mm -hmm. that has gunfire in it. Mm -hmm. Bang, 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 bang is a part of the right. song, which I don't love. But somebody remixed it with muskets. And the, wit, and the song goes from three minutes to 12 minutes long because they, for each bang, have to pour the shot, tamp oh. it down, fire it, right. clean, like, and they do it each time. And it extends the... There is no mass shooting with the weapons conceived of by our forefathers and the, the people who wrote this law. Secondly, handguns with a maximum cartridge of, say, 12 bullets. Mm -hmm. Or six, in the case of a revolver, six to eight in a revolver. With a magazine, you're looking at 10 to 12. This feels reasonable to me for personal protection. Yeah. And, what the, and what the police need, frankly. Um, a shotgun with two shots, if you're hunting birds. Right. A rifle with five shots. If you're hunting a deer or other large prey, well, I, I that's yeah. fine. An AK anything, an AR anything, anything with a magazine of a hundred rounds for what? It's for what? Effectively, a weapon for. It's a it's a war it's weapon. It's a military weapon. It's a military so grade weapon. This is uh, and again going back to my roots as a martial artist. It's ridiculous to me that there's some states where you can't buy nunchucks. Yep, nope, but you could get a but, gun. But you can get an automatic rifle, which is silly because most people getting nunchucks usually just wind up Semi-automatic. Automatics are right. still largely, although they are easily adapted. Adapted. And I think that's the case with legal one of the shooters. Things, which yes. I, I don't understand the need for it. I don't understand the, the, the fear that motivates you to buy a military weapon. The only need for it is to kill many people. We don't let people and have so the bazookas. Right. We don't the, let people have tanks. The population at large yeah. does not need them, and... Police departments need very few of them, and they mm. need to be locked up for extraordinary circumstances. Well, there was, and yeah. then I do think yes, take if you have multiple. If you're in a SWAT team, you need one. Yes, you know when you have a bunch of specialized weapons for dangerous that very you have specialized been trained situations. for. Right. But yep. uh, yeah, I don't understand the need for them. But going back to this thing, uh, what we started with. The idea that instead of doing anything, you're going to give out this fake mm -hmm. consolation. Yep. And and like I said, I don't know that any of these politicians mm -hmm. that are right. offering these, quote, thoughts and prayers are doing any kind of thinking or praying on the subject. If you are taking money from a lobby and ignoring the cost of human lives because you're greedy then your prayers are made of lead and they will fall to the ground and through your floor the minute you say them. Oh, no. Our I, floors. I don't, I don't know how on earth a person can reconcile the idea that they did not do their utmost, utmost, sorry, utmost for uh, the safety of their citizens, of their constituency, mm -hmm. and then try to console them with the idea that we are spiritually on the same page I'm praying for you, the victim that I've made. Here's my bloody hand to shake. I don't understand it. Yeah. No, it's... It's become a parody of itself. Yeah. And it's be, it's starting to enrage people. Like People don't want to hear that. No, they don't want to hear it. No, they shouldn't have to hear that. And when there are two mass shootings in our country in the same day, mm -hmm. and really there were three because there was another... There was an incident of gun violence... Um, that killed, I believe, seven in Chicago that same day, but it was yeah, quote-unquote gang violence, uh -huh. so we didn't hear about it. Uh, in, in the same day, right. I don't want to hear thoughts and prayers. I want to hear how you're going to fix it. 
Yeah, and the the the, the lack of action on this too. The, yeah, that Onion headline that they run every time there's a mass shooting. I am not familiar with it. Uh, no way to stop this says only country where this happens regularly. Right. I believe that's what it is. Um, well, this is obviously we've reached uh, hopefully a tipping point. Th- it should not have gotten this far. And I'm not sure exactly. There, there's several things that have to be addressed. First of all, just take away the weapons from people. If your first thought when you hear about a mass shooting is someone's going to come and take my gun, there's something wrong with you. There's something wrong with you. Yes, absolutely. You have no value on human life. If if you are okay with other people dying, that tells me something about you. Right. Because you're saying that, well, right, somebody... As long as my Second mm-hmm. Amendment right isn't right. infringed upon... All of their rights can be infringed my upon because my rights are more important than other people's rights to exist. Yep, and that's really the issue. One of the things I, uh, the issue that I have with the, the Trump presidency and right now with the Republican Party, one of the things that has been really difficult for me lately is I went to a school, Shallow Christian Academy, mm-hmm. right, the last two years of high school, and I knew a lot of conservative, very fundamentalist people, and. Now, I'm having to distance myself from them because we get into these arguments over there asking me to pray for the president. He's doing such a great job. I'm like, no, no. I'm going to pray for him that he gets out of office. I'm going to pray that he actually finds Jesus, but I'm not going to pray that these horrible policies keep going through. They've made a a really terrible bargain, which is, I will agree for your terrible, terrible, terrible personhood to be in this highest office as long as my policies get passed and we get rid of abortion, which was a fake issue, as we've already discussed. Yes. Um, and they'll put up with the racism. They'll put up with the the introduction of a real kind of fascist culture. Yep. The same things that uh, that they're, the scripture is fighting against. The same things that... The same kind of people who crucified Jesus are the people who are claiming to follow him. Yep. Religious fanatics and people who are just following the the, the rules um, on the part of the Romans, anyhow. But um, uh, yeah, I don't. It, it's infuriating to see now again looking at the, the how close I came to being one of those people. Right. Uh, it sort of hit me for a couple of days afterwards. Yep. Sort of walking around thinking, well, that that could have been me. But realistically, with two mass shootings a month. Every month still for the last anywhere. eight years, yeah. it could be you. Well, I get really creeped out now, and something that you've noticed, I'm always asking you, and this is ridiculous, you're a grown woman. <laughs> and I think sometimes you take it the wrong way and think I'm just being irritating. When are you going to get home? I've, I've turned into a parent to my friends and family. Oh, yeah. I'll ask my son, Alex, when are you, you going to get home? What are you going to do? And then I try to back up and not be hovering over him that way and then at the same time when somebody else asks me when is he going to be home I'm like oh my god I failed as a parent because I don't know what's going to happen right there are so many threats particularly for him as a person of color right there are so many threats not only from random you know incels or white supremacists from the actual police yep people in authority who will never face the consequences of what they do that could happen also Yeah, I feel like I'm dominating this conversation. No, no, no. I just, I I only want thoughts and prayers if it's followed up by tangible action. Mm-hmm. Well, again, we're quoting James, faith without works is dead. And the so works. this is I need an example the works, please. of dead faith. I'm going to turn into a character from uh, Dude, Where's My Car? <laughs> Which I've never seen. And I'm going to say, say, tell me thoughts and prayers. Thoughts and prayers. And then... <laughs> Okay, there we go. And then? Yes. And then. Until you can tell me an and then Mm -hmm. that is anything, I don't want to hear the first part. I don't want to hear it. In the book of Exodus, Moses has led people away from Egypt. He has them at the shores of the, the Red Sea or the Reed Sea, depending on the translation. And Pharaoh's army is approaching. All right? As they are, Moses prays. 
And God tells him, stop praying. Yeah. Get up and do something. And he's like, there's... there's yeah, but then he has magic. Right. <laughs> then he magics. But I love the idea of that story. It's like, stop. It's not doing anything. Just do something. Go do something. Stop. I'll, I'll, I'll be behind you. Just do something. Like, I hear you. I've got right. it. Let's, yeah, I've got let's it. But you, you got there's a bunch something. of panicking people. You have to do something. And I really... Uh, that's the way that I've always approached it uh, since I've come to this sort of understanding about faith is that you need to do something about it or else it's nothing. You may not stand idly by your neighbor's blood, Leviticus 19.15. Right. Here's another side of thoughts and prayers. Mm -hmm. All I can think about is how we're doomed and it's exhausting. So I need action so that I can stop thinking about the death of children at the hands of white supremacists. Right. Yes, the element of an El Paso targeting Mexicans in the crowd. Well, brown people. Brown people. You don't know where they're from. Right. He didn't know where they were Mexicans from. Actually, Mexican care. nationals was... Mexican nationals, six. Six. And so he was just looking for particular people to mm -hmm. gun down. The verse that I wanted to bring up to you is also from James. Um, Mine and it's was one of my not favorite. from James. Mine is from Leviticus. Leviticus, from the old book. This is from the new book. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, otherwise you're deceiving yourselves. Which is lovely enough in itself. And then it goes on to say, For anyone who hears the word but does not carry it out is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after observing himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Beautifully which pithy is, verse, I think. That is what... Our leaders are doing on the right. regular. That's exactly what our leaders are doing. It's the only way that many of the Republicans, I think, can live with themselves. Well, and this is why so many are not coming back uh, or uh, seeking re-election. Yeah, well, I think there are two reasons. I but think there's an attack <laughs> of conscience as well. I hope it? it's an attack of conscience and not just a when you're not in the majority party in the House, you have smaller budgets and smaller offices and it's not as fun i'm really hoping that it is crisis of conscience but if if it's if i'm gonna believe i'm, I'm gonna believe the worst at this point until they prove me otherwise so republican house members who are not seeking re-election you need to be speaking up against the people who are detrimental to this country, and that includes Republicans in the Senate. It includes the President of the United States. If you're not seeking re-election, you don't have to worry about Donald Trump being on the top of the ticket, so you need to speak out wholeheartedly and full-throatedly. And if you're not doing that, I'm just going to presume that you don't like that you have a smaller office now, and so you're going to go home and go to the private sector to make more money. That's what I'm going to presume, because you have not proven me any, any different. I, yeah, I don't... Hi, I'm cynical. N well, but the thing is, you've been put... Uh, you've been put in a position to be cynical. Because, again, this is the 261st mass shooting. Uh, I, I, I'm thinking of, for some reason, John Boehner comes to mind. Mm -hmm. And his retirement. And how it... Uh, how it followed his meeting with the Pope during which he very visibly broke down and began to cry. I'd like to make a quick uh -huh. adjustment. Right. As of August 5th, the 217th day of the year, there have been 255 mass shootings in the United States. Okay. So I misspoke. But I'm wondering and if... And Lord knows mm -hmm. we are recording before we are releasing. Jesus. Yeah, but um, input into mind of John Boehner and his meeting with the Pope and his very emotional reaction to the Pope's speech about immigration and then not soon afterwards leaving office. And I wonder if that was some sort of it literal was... come-to-Jesus moment where you saw the difference between what you believe and what you claim to believe and a representative, the highest representative, at least of this version of that faith... Didn't even want to look at you. Right. <laughs> and then you realize where you are. Mm -hmm. So I think that it's possible for people to make that change. I, I want to be optimistic my faith tells me to be optimistic about people and their ability to change and their ability to, to do a 180 from where they are. It's, 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 
hinged on the ability to look clearly at one's self and well, one's yes, own actions. Which is exactly what that scripture was about. It's a mirror. You're looking at the mirror. And if you turn away, and it's like you've turned away and forgotten your face. And so the people who are offering thoughts and prayers in place of action and are willing to let other people die because it's politically expedient are the people turning away and forgetting what they've realized when they've looked into this, looked into their faith, and seeing what they really are. Christianity is built around a construct that a person has to repent for what they do. And this is an element that's often missing when we're looking at public leaders and things like that. It feels a little bit like the 12-step. Yes, it is. The 12-step program is is based on that. You have to acknowledge that there are flaws. Yes. And those flaws are within you. And the father of the 12 steps is a religious person himself, mm -hmm. and he adapted that because he understood how powerful a tool that is. The first step is to recognizing what you are in Christianity. I am a sinner. And unfortunately, that's become a terrible thing, but uh, a terrible thing, a way of castigating people. But what you're recognizing in that moment is I've come short, and I need to change that. And I don't have the ability sometimes to change it on my own, so I'm asking for this external help to change it. And that people can argue about whether or the validity of that, that, but that's what the faith teaches. So if you are, for instance, when we've seen Trump make his public speeches, he doesn't seem to believe that he's an error at any point. Right. Which is why when they tell me that he's converted, I'm like, no, he, he hasn't. He said that he's never had reason to ask God for forgiveness. Which is... The antithesis, which might actually make you the antichrist. I don't know. (laughs) I don't believe in God, but I've definitely done things that I should ask forgiveness for. Right. Even if it isn't of God. Mm -hmm. But... And that's the next thing we should cover. I think that you probably do believe in God in a different way. Yes, absolutely. I I just... It's it's a construct Mm -hmm. issue. Um, But, yeah, no, to hear somebody... To hear a grown man... Right profess Christianity and say, I've never... Yes, that's not how Christianity works. Yeah, especially when you watch this man who is a self-professed assaulter of women and a constant liar. Yes, a habitual liar. To say, nope. Right. God's cool with every... I'm cool with everything, so God must be cool with everything. What? Uh, Yes. The... And the fact what? that people are okay with this, you know, there's a word for this. It's called blasphemy. Um, we're not supposed to allow that in the faith. And again, people again make the decision to turn away and forget what they've learned. And so, yeah, that's where I'm at. I I pray for the people who've been victims of this. I suppose I have thoughts about them. I don't know who they are, and I really want to. I want to know less about the killer and more about the people who lived and who lost their life and how well they lived their life. They should not be remembered for being victims. They should be remembered for this is the, the Shannon lives they Tate. led. Yeah. Uh, yes, I know. I, we, we, I, I don't know why we seem to focus on that here, particularly in this country, where there's all sorts of... Well, we do fetishize our right. serial killers to, to a degree that is unhealthy, but... Yeah, to, to there's a paradox of wanting to know the victims, mm-hmm. but you're only going to know the victims because they are the victims. Right. Presumably. That's true. So you can't you can't have one without the other. Yeah, I I am um, to think though that the family of these people exist and that forever their name is going to be associated with a monster. Yeah. That's what I, 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 um, yeah, I can't imagine the pain of that. I don't want to imagine the pain of it. I don't want to experience it myself. I understand that there's a chance of that, as you mentioned, every day leaving my home, that something's going to happen to me or one of my loved ones or somebody that I know. It's going to come that close because it, it's happening constantly now. And the people who are the watchdogs aren't doing anything. They're not doing anything. Nope. The people but that they're offering thoughts and prayers. The, yeah, the people that we put in office to protect us 
could not possibly care less about us, it feels like. Yeah. Uh, and it feels like it every time something happens, and that every time something happens is happening more and more. Mm-hmm. So it feels less and less like we're being heard or that anybody gives any kind of care about us. feels bad. It feels real bad. Well, again, I will err on the side of optimism. Christianity was once religion practiced by about a dozen people. It's now practiced by a great many people in the world. But so many people are doing it wrong. Yes, but my point is, it only took 12 people. This whole notion that you cannot change the course of the world, you sure as hell can change the course of the world. Maybe that's the wrong way to phrase it. We're going to get loud. But you can. You need. You can absolutely. People can change the course of things, even when it seems insurmountable. Think about where this as a religion started, and where it is now. Now it hasn't had a great path to where it is now, and still, it's not being practiced the way that it should. But the fact that it can come from where it did, and be what it is now, means that you can completely change the dynamic for the entire world by working hard, working hard enough, and having the right message. God loves you. God does not want you to be killed. And God certainly does not appreciate being flung out there as a consolation prize to people who've suffered, who've really suffered. This week, in The More You Know, we're going to discuss a couple of lalias. Lalias. Xenolalia and glossolalia, both interpreted as speaking in tongues. What does it mean when you hear a person on television, an evangelist, start speaking nonsense under some kind of inspiration? They get emotional, they cry, then they start saying things that sound like words, but aren't any words you recognized. Pentecostal and charismatic Christians consider this speaking a sign of God's favor, a gift of the Holy Spirit. What does it really mean? Let's start at the beginning. The very beginning. The very, very beginning, just for me, a confused person hearing a lot of new words. What do you mean by Pentecostal and Charismatic Christian? The Charismatic Movement, it's after the Greek word charismata, started with two American holiness preachers who introduced the concept of baptism in the Holy Spirit accompanied by speaking in tongues as evidence of salvation. You're raising your hand. I am. Okay. Can you now define American holiness preachers? These were evangelical preachers. Okay. I, this is also a new they term? They a lot of different ter- names for it. These okay. are Protestant churches uh, that believed in a kind of spiritual presence of God in our modern times that was the same as the presence of God in biblical times. They're just looking for a burning bush? Not quite, but yes. Eyes out. Similar. <laughs> Head on a swivel. The early days of the movement were characterized by all the things that we see in the early church. Faith healing by laying on of hands and ecstatic speech. One of these men was William Seymour, an African-American preacher who ignited a revival at the Azusa Street Mission in Los Angeles, California, in 1906. People attending the meeting described the same kind of things that are described at the biblical day of Pentecost. People speaking in foreign tongues, strange oars glowing around their heads. All these things went on Azusa Street irregularly, until the revival officially ended in 1915. It inspired the charismatic movement as people from the revival went into the mission field and urban evangelism. Since then, speaking in tongues has spread even into the Catholic fellowship. Okay, so from 1906 to 1915, this black preacher in L.A. was reliving the day of the Pentecost. Yes. What is the day of the Pentecost? Okay. (laughs) <laughs> no, I'm like, I'm just making sure that I'm getting, and then from there it spread out, but I don't right. know what that is, so I understand. On that, finishing his, okay, okay. I understand that Pentecostal probably comes from the day of the Pentecost, right. so teach me. On finishing his earthly ministry, Jesus promised gifts to come on the remaining disciples to help them continue the good news in his absence. Fifty days after his ascension, the disciples were gathered together. Okay, wait. From the scripture. Wait, wait, wait. Well, <laughs> is this going to be like um, 
and to you, I give a magic watch, and to you, a, a no, stocking. <laughs> this is what happened. Jesus, now remember, this is my part of the story. Jesus was tortured to death for two days in front of his disciples. So you say, go well, ahead. Was. That we know for sure. That was a historical incident. Eh, he died a little quick, but it's he, fine. Go ahead. Well, so the disciples had just watched Jesus tortured to death. Understood. And he's buried, and then he comes back. He isn't really buried, though. He's just put well, in a cave. Well, he's put into a cave because there wasn't time to uh, bury him before uh, yeah. nightfall. No, I understand. So Jesus comes back. The disciples are people like us. They are impressed that Jesus has come back from the dead, but they're terrified because they're going to go out preaching to the same people who just tortured him to death for two days. Yeah, that's a problem. Okay, so what he has to do to encourage them is to say, I'm going to give you ability, and you're going to go out in the world, and when you least expect it, things will happen. The Holy Spirit will be with you, and things will happen, and you'll be taken care of. So you, this will serve as some protection from right. experiencing what I just experienced, because chances are pretty mm-hmm. good you will not be rising but from the dead. But what he was telling them was basically... You're frightened right now, but I'm going to give you something that will give you courage. Okay. And he gives them this gift, which is is the Holy Ghost, the way that we understand it now. Okay. Now, they use the term Holy Ghost before you ask, because I know what you're going to ask. The Holy Ghost and the Holy Spirit are the same thing. The term ghost and spirit used to be used interchangeably. Right. It's it's a language um, Our language has changed over time. It should technically be the Holy Spirit. Greek, Aramaic, English, English, English. Yeah. Just like once upon a time, the word demon did not mean evil spirit. It just meant a spirit that wasn't a ghost. Right. Not a, non-human. Non-human. Never been human. Right. So that's so at one point, it meant that now when you say the word demon, it means something exclusively very sinister. All right? Is it? I, this may come out as blasphemy, and it's mm-hmm. not intended that way, but okay. if the Holy Ghost is not a ghost, mm-hmm. it is a, an other spirit. It's a demon as well. Right? No. It was never a person. (laughs) It was never a person, but neither is God. God was never a person. That's fine. Mm -hmm. But if you're going to tell me that we have this spirit that is going to protect you that was never a person, and the word demon only meant spirit that was never a person, technically... Well, you're putting a pagan definition on a Christian idea. So if you're going to do that, that would work, because the Roman definition of demon was... They also had other words like lemurs, which we never think of. Lemur was a, a ghost, a malevolent ghost, what we would call a poltergeist. So they had Probably all sorts of... children. Right. They had all sorts of strange words that would like have passed out of use. We never look at a haunting and go, oh, a lemur. You know, that, okay, that just well, sounds silly. You, you brought up the demon thing. Well, you don't have to use the demon <laughs> thing. It's like, here's our road and we're going this way. <laughs> so right, but like... Okay. Don't but say, here's I, one kind of ghost that was never a thing. Also, the word demon me, used to just mean that because you have, you did it. Okay. okay. I brought it up, but not in this context. So. Tell us about the day of the Pentecost. The scripture. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven, as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire that and one sat upon each of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. I have deep issues with the word tongue in this particular yes. uh, translation. In two complete, this is the King Totally goes. different right. meanings. All right. And I, have, I take issue with that language-wise, but please <laughs> go ahead. Continuing with the Scripture... And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused, because everyone heard them speak in their own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? How is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and all parts of Libya, adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes. Cretans and Arabs, we all hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? So a little bit of a callback to the Tower of Babel. In reverse. (laughs) 
what happens here, and that's an interesting parallel. Thank you, Emily, for introducing that to a preacher's kid. Let me expound on this for two hours. So, <laughs> I will. Tower, <laughs> yes, it's the opposite. What happens with everything post-resurrection with Jesus is supposed to undo things that happened in the Old Testament. When you think about Jesus' first appearance after his resurrection, he appears to Mary Magdalene. Mm-hmm. So, just like the world starts a man and a woman in a garden, the world begins a second time with a man and a woman in a garden, the garden where the tomb was. Okay. And the same way that human beings dispersed because they couldn't understand each other, now they're all talking in the same... There's a group of men talking in every language on earth, bringing them together. So it's like it's... I think I got the Tower of Babel story backwards. Right. The Tower of Babel was that people were building a tower in an effort to be an affront to God, to show right. their power which is, and might. Which is a weird flex. Like, why do you... Right. Why is that your... God, then, bring it on, God. God that seems all very speech, dangerous. And they all wandered to different corners oh, he, of the world. Okay. But they originally mm. did all, all spoke the, the same, same thing. And then so here, he... Right. Broke them up. They're all being brought together to hear the good news. Wonderful things are happening. So what it's describing in on the day of Pentecost, and Pentecost was a was a a harvest festival from Moses' time. It wasn't okay. part of the Mosaic Law. So it was a Jewish festival that again, very like Co-opted. Very much like um the uh Passover, Passover gets turned into the Eucharist. Pentecost gets turned into, and again, it's the metaphorical as well, because it was a harvesting ceremony. Right. And here they're talking about harvesting souls. That uh, sounds very sinister. Go ahead. <laughs> because you've been listening to it from, you know, a Stephen King screen or something, yeah. like that view. Yep. But here they're talking about all these people receiving the good news. So what they're describing the day of Pentecost was actually happening in this mission in Los Angeles at the turn of the century. So, but were they speaking actual languages? Yes, they, they, apparently, according to witnesses, they were. So they were not speaking... Okay, so that's... Go, well, go right. ahead. So what we just described from the biblical day of Pentecost was not what you frequently see on television churches. This was xenolalia, or speaking in tongues that are unknown to the speaker. This is what happened on the day of Pentecost. The story describes... This story describes actual languages that were known and recognized by people around them. The gospel was being spread to people in their own language, spoken by people who had no way of learning that language. And that is actually, uh, my understanding, is one of the signs of um, stigmata. Yeah, that can be. Like Jesus' miracles, this was a, a supernatural endorsement of the new message. The story then goes on in a humorous direction, Peter, who is now the spokesman of the new message, has to defend the disciples against charges of public drunkenness. He then goes on to connect the manifestation to the gifts of God starting a new age. So this mysterious power of actually speaking languages that you don't know only happens a handful of times and in the New Testament. It's um. Do you understand what you're saying? Oh, frequently they don't. So they'll just sort of be overtaken. Right. It's not like when you have a... I'm, I'm not saying mm. these people are having strokes, but there's a medical condition where you will be attempting to say one word and a different wor- word will come out. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not what's being reported after the fact, I assume. No. They, I will go, they'll go into some sort of trance or no. something where they're not cognizantly... That's not a word. They're not a- aware of what they're saying. Right. They're not. They're both not aware of saying, trying to speak and being unable to, or speaking mm-hmm. in a manner that they are unfamiliar with. Right. Okay. So xenolalia, xenolalia, mm-hmm. is it real? There are records of xenolalia in other religions, particularly faiths that practice spirit communication or possession, like Obeya or Santeria, spiritualism, and some esoteric forms of Buddhism. So what about when TV ministers or other people on television are speaking and it's clearly not words? Right. So this is something called glossolalia. And is also a person speaking a language unknown to them, but it is not a recognized language. St. Paul describes something closer to glossolalia as its practice in the early church. He didn't value it. He often remarked that it was a gift that did not edify the early church if no one could understand what was being said. Mm-hmm. 
He insisted that when these ecstatic prayers were made in church, one person should pray for the gift to interpret them and give meaning to them. That seems like a real easy way to dupe people. I think what Paul was doing was he almost seems to be discouraging it as a practice. Okay. I think that these people were saying things and he just sort of felt like, because remember the early church meetings, they couldn't hold them in synagogues any longer. So they were meeting in people's houses. And a lot of what Paul in his letters to the early churches, and we think of them as buildings, they weren't, were church meetings in houses where Mm -hmm. people would offer the Eucharist and then have a big feast afterward in heaven as part of the dinner. And he's always telling telling people, you can't do that because it has to be separate. He's telling people... I think that's silly. You could have it together. Well, but the thing was, he said, it felt like it then became like a big social dinner and then there's this spiritual component that everyone goes back to drinking. So he was trying to make it separate so that it didn't become you just... Why people went back to drinking? It's because the water wasn't safe. All you could drink was wine Yeah, but anyways. it wasn't meant to be part of a progressive dinner. It was meant to be a separate... Um, it's like you don't have Passover. It's morning wine, not right. dinner wine. But he was, In other words, we don't have Passover in the middle of dinner, right? We have a special time when we have it. And it's incorporated as part of the dinner, but it's not. That's not the reason why you're eating it. Paul just sounds like a, bu- a buzzkill. Paul is very <laughs> much a buzzkill. Okay, go go go. I remember we have a friend who describes it as like a rock star being followed by an accountant, because what? Paul comes in to tell everyone what, rules? what they what they can't do. <laughs> right? Rules are so important. And yeah, so he says that these uh, people were experiencing this this uh, glossolalia. And it was sort of taking over the church, but no one could understand what was being said. Right. And I think what he saw was that this is not at all what happened on the day of Pentecost when people were speaking languages for a purpose. Right. This is just people sort of having this cathartic moment where they're speaking out loud. Does he think that it's an affect? No, because he seems to actually believe that there can be a person interpreting it. This is like some sort of prophetic language. That just is... And that, that goes deeply back, feels like... Remember that Paul was a very, very educated, very Jewish man. He grew up in the synagogue learning that way. And there are stories going back to the Old Testament about people suddenly being able to prophesy. So he drew okay. a correlation to that. Okay. I just... It's, I know. It seems like it's very easy to manipulate people with right. that. Right. That's, that's what it feels like. And maybe it's because I saw that Steve Martin movie. Okay. Now, he insisted, when exact prayers were made in the church, a person should pray for the gift to interpret these words and give some meaning to them. So these two manifestations, glossolalia and xenolalia, are two separate things. Okay. Xenolalia is supernatural and inexplicable by rational means. And rare. Right. And glossolalia is a kind of cathartic practice, very much, and this would sound very blasphemous to some people, but like chanting a ritual, breathing only right. on an unconscious level. Like um, the... Um the whirling. Yeah. It's like very dervishes. much like that. Um, studies have shown that this kind of medical studies have shown that this kind of practice is very emotionally healthy and therapeutic. It's almost like um, that primal scream yeah. type thing. I think it probably ha- has a similar therapeutic and effect. As a person who's done it, who's had my own experiences with it when I was in church when I was very young... The uh, the church elders prayed over me, and it happened. I began speaking out words. I have no idea what I was saying. I had no conscious control over my mouth. So it's very strange. It's like... when, Especially when it's children, that but feels it's put into your, exploitative to me. Yeah, but it's... The closest I can describe it, and people ask me all the time, so I stop talking about it, is that it is very much like being in a trance state, I imagine in that you are not actually in control. You're not external to your body, right? but you aren't in control. And it does sound like it has clearly defined words and syntax. It really does. It's a very odd thing. And I really wish that there had been, there would be, and I understand it's considered a sacred subject. I would really like to know what's actually going on because it's not the same thing that we're talking about when we talk about... No, they should find a way to do mm. MRIs. Well, they've done, as I said, there's been medical studies that show that there's not, when you're speaking in tongues, it's not necessarily coming from the language centers of your brain. Okay. But that it is doing all these wonderful things to your endorphins. Endorphins. It's very cathartic. Okay, Okay, so growing up in an evangelical church, there was a lot of emphasis on speaking in tongues as a kind of validation of salvation, which is where I found it to be wrong because it's like... 
So if you don't, then I guess you're doing this whole thing right. wrong. So people were actually wandering around feeling very guilty that they that this didn't happen to them. Or faking it. Mm, yeah. I've got to believe that there are people, especially kids, right, who are hearing the the way that you are mm-hmm. getting the and right thing it. out of here mm. is by doing this. Right. I I guarantee you there are people faking it regularly. So many people, I'm not saying that right. everyone that is that experiences this is not having a genuine experience. A, a genuine experience, but I bet that at least half are people who are I, like I don't know. See, and again because I grew up with it, I can see a lot of people who are honestly having this and there were times when the um and it is a very, it, it's being around it when it's being done honestly, it gets to be very emotional and very, like, I don't want to sound very woo-woo about this, but there's a lot of energy going around it, and it makes some people really uncomfortable. I I've think seen secular people go into a, an evangelical church when this is happening and just walked out and yeah, like, no, no I, it's, can't, I can't deal. There's an energy there mm-hmm. that, that would be uncomfortable if it's not something that you're Mm-hmm. familiar with. So growing up in a Pentecostal church, there was a great deal of emphasis on speaking in tongues as a validation of salvation. Many people I met believed they were actually speaking another language. I knew one woman who spent part of her weekend nights watching local Chinese television trying to pick out words that were familiar to her from hearing people speaking tongues at revival meetings. I think people want to be connected with supernatural things described in the Bible, and that's why evangelical Christians put an emphasis on Things like speaking in tongues, exorcism, and faith healing as part of their practice. The way they incorporate it into their practice is not necessarily the same way that it was practiced in biblical times, but it connects them to the stories that they read. I think a, a, a more comfortable way into something like this mm-hmm. would be the Quakers, the way yeah. that the Quakers do their, I think they're called friendship circles. Right. So a Quaker meeting mm-hmm. uh, doesn't have a leader is my Mm -hmm. understanding. And everybody goes in and kind of sits in a circle until someone is moved to speak. Now, they're not speaking in any other language, but they are moved to speak. Go ahead. And I feel like that feels like a safer Uh method of ingress to this topic for people because they're speaking in, you know, native tongue, not a... but, But it feels like a similar... like. The Quakers at least believe that it's a similar movement from outside of themselves. Yeah, I will tell you something since uh-huh. you brought up the Quakers. The Shakers practiced speaking in tongues. Oh. And that's why they were called Shakers. Here's what I know have... about them. Excellent cabinetry. <laughs> well, they actually had ecstatic moments where they were beginning to shake and quiver and, and, and speak. So this is like Quaker to Shaker to right. evangelical. And the Shakers, however, uh, because they were, um, they had sort of an apocalyptic streak. They believed the end of the world was coming, like most evangelicals do. Uh, They didn't practice marriage. And the end result is they went extinct. Oh, no. But they made really lovely furniture. They did make lovely furniture. Right. Check out Antiques Roadshow anytime. They they made all... Okay, so, but that was sort of a... Right. Oh, that's interesting. So I'm not wrong about sort of the impetus for the Quaker. Mm. Um, yeah. Like I said, I'm not a Quaker. Right. I've never been to a Quaker meeting, but that's my understanding is they just sit with themselves in in a, in a circle right. or in a group, and then when they are moved to speak, they do so. I really would like to because I, I think the furthest outside of uh, extra ecclesia nulla salis that I've been, is going to a Unitarian church and going, that's odd. It's like, <laughs> isn't that a Pink Floyd song? I, I didn't get Maybe. it. <laughs> and it turned out it was, but yeah, that, okay. that just felt a little weird. But anyhow, so yeah, I would, I just, I want to emphasize, I do not disbelieve in this as a spiritual practice. It is not, however, what is described in the day of Pentecost. Okay. And also... Well, xenolalia would be. Xenolalia would be, but I'm talking about the glossolalia. Glossolalia. So what I grew up with is something very spiritual and very strong. I don't, it's not the same thing. And I really do believe it's part of people trying to, as you often see with the evangelical church, they're trying to practice the gifts of Jesus a Mm. lot. They're trying to, I mean, lay hands on you or I'm going to cast demons out. The way they do it is so haphazard and weird. Yeah, and also 
they're not Jesus. Right. Like, I hate to break this right. to anyone, but the, the chances that you are, in fact, the Son of God are zero. Right. So... That brings us to the end of this week's episode. If you like it, please subscribe, leave us a review, and share us with a friend. We have an internet home, withoutworkspodcast.com. Our show notes, links to stories we talk about, and transcripts for our episodes can be found there. We're also reachable at withoutworkspod at gmail.com, on Twitter at withoutworkspod, and on Facebook at withoutworkspodcast. All that information is on the website as well, easily clickable links. So go over there and have a look around. I've been Lemuel, and she's been Amity, and we urge you to get out there and do something good.